tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed, and a world-governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Aaron, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Good morning, Swarm Ham. Welcome to Tim Paul Hat. You know I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock. There we go. Joining me, my partner in crime, the sleepy Mexican. I can't tell are you super high or are you sleepy sometimes. That's, that's the point. You can't tell. Oh, that's you don't know. Right. No sabes. Right, no dude. sabes. He pulled over by the cops. <laughs> oh, I'm not high. I'm sleepy. <laughs> I'm los los sleep dreaming as it is. Oh, look at that guy. Look at that guy. He knows the future, dude. Xavier Guerrero, how are you, Xavier? What's up? I'm doing great. Xavier, big news. Big news. Huge news. What's the the big news is we that we don't smoke the we don't same as on rockfin.com starting May. So head Starting over there. May, that's yes. a week and a half. What are yes. you guys stretching before you do it? Yeah. Gotta, we gotta a, loosen your joints. Yeah. We had a couple great, great guests on before. Martin Moreno, we might have on Be Real, just a little intro to like rock get it going, get yeah. the party started, get, get, get them started. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, Rockfin, go check it out. Please welcome to the show the Tiger Beat <laughs> of Tim Fall Hat, Johnny <laughs> Woodard. How are you're you, so Johnny? Silly. You're so silly. This, this show is probably. One of my favorites of all time today. I really like this subject. We had a great show today. I got super giddy. Johnny couldn't stop laughing at how giddy I was as we were talking. <laughs> yeah, watch the, the watch the camera. I cut to him a few times, and he is just absorbed. He looks like that uh, that GIF of Jack Nicholson uh, from I think Anger Management, where he's yeah. just like this, and I'm like nodding. <laughs> yeah, that's it right there. I thought you guys were on shrooms at one point. You got the sh- the like the giggles, and I was like, why are these two laughing? I could because Johnny was laughing at me because I was so excited about what Doctor Eric Wargall was talking. It was about like today. he was watching a twerking video. It really was. <laughs> I know that's I did have the same feeling. I did have the same. You're talking about dreams and time travel. Are you talking about hot black chicks twerking? Either way, same face. Okay. <laughs> hey, we added a new uh, Twitter for Broken Simulation since the last one got uh, kicked out. It's at Broken Sim. Please follow us there, at Broken Sim. We'll be sharing all the crazy news stories and uh, clips. And we'll, uh, I can put some... Can we get the, can we get the uh, Instagram back as well? We, I think we... I don't, I don't... I never had that, so I don't... I'll have to ask well, you about Well, why don't you start a new about, one? We'll I thought it got one. banned. I, think, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, but sure. yeah, it's at Broken Sim. We'll slip some tinfoil stuff in there, too. Uh, guys, this weekend I will be, and ladies, I will be in Phoenix, Arizona at the House of Comedy. I'll be there with Cash Daddy's Howie Dewey and my good friend Carlisle Forster. Look at me bringing females on the road, living dangerous, okay? <laughs> That's some evil Knievel stuntman shit, and I'm doing it because I support females. That was my Tony Hinchcliffe right there, okay? Um, so uh, come see me. Thank you. Thank you, feminists of the world. All right. And then uh, the following week, I am in Indianapolis with um, with uh, my good friend Zane Helbert, and we will be at Helium's in Indianapolis. Super excited about being out there. The, uh, I think the guy who made me this bat is going to be there, bro. Did you know the bat was here, dude? Oh, that's a Clippers bat? That's a Clippers bat, bro. That's a Clippers bat. 
bang, I think I'm going to pay him to make me a Raiders bat, too. You know? Who's going to be cool, the first man. person to get hit with that? Anybody comes through that door looking for stuff, okay? <laughs> all right. So go. If you want to see me live, all my tickets are available at samtriplee.com. Tickets for Houston, the Tin Fall Hat Show, will be in Houston. It will be, it will be the, the four horsemen of conspiracies, Eddie Bravo, Sam Triplee, Xavier Guerrero, and Reed Becker. When Johnny gets a sack... Okay, and stop trying to be... Eddie Bravo's back out there, huh? Yeah, and he's ready oh, okay. to go back. That's cool, man. And they, that's why he says he's he might come back on that's the show. That's exciting. He's okay. ready to go. Yeah, he's back in it to win it. Cool. We got four shows at the Secret Group. I will get you all of those uh, all those links on samtriplee.com. A lot of great stuff going on. A lot of great stuff going on on samtriplee.com. You can get all the t-shirts there. Uh, if you want to support the show, we got many t-shirts here. The, the Re- Revolution will be podcasted. Uh, you know, um, Rage on behalf of the sh- machine. What else do we got over there? Got the-, uh, the most evil place on the planet's there. Uh, it's all there. New stuff's going. New shirts are always going up. Great way to support the shirt. Go to tinfallhattshirts.com or samtriplee.com. Go check it out. Uh, if you want premium content, you can get it in one of two places. You can either go to uh, samtriplee.com where you can get my Zero podcast and my Tinfoil Hat premium content stuff. Or you can go to Rockfin. Now, lots going on at Rockfin. R-O-K-F-I-N.com. You can get We Don't Smoke the Same. Tinfoil Hat will, might be going over there. We're, we're in discussions. Uh, Zero is there. Conspiracy Social Club is there with Brian Callen. Broken Simulations there. Uh, the go, uh, the greatest of all time sports talk is there. Rockfan.com slash greatest. R O K F I N.com. Please go check it out right there. Support the show. Uh, did I miss anything? I don't think so. Patreon.com slash broken simulation, oh. too, if you want to get that. Oh, uh, and by the way, maybe because I'm not on uh, Twitter, but nobody was hitting me up excited about the news of the Big 500. I haven't heard from anybody. I got news. What? Well, a couple people hitting me up. They're ready. They're right. So they want the I'm working on festival. the day. I'm thinking about the second weekend in November. I'm going to talk to my manager today. Second week in November. And then I'm thinking about doing a two-day event. First day, I think I'm going to see if R.A. the Rugged Man's available. Ooh. Jamie Josta is available. Do, and then maybe one other band do a, a night there. And then the second night... During the day will be the podcast, and then after that will be the, um, the stand-up show. Stand-up show. I'm also thinking about making something special for anybody that gets our premium content on either show. So on yeah. any of the show. So yeah, like a sec- um, something secret. Maybe a meet and greet early before oh. the rock days. Show up. We hang out. Johnny gives lap dances. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bah, 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 He's bah, the one bah, wanted. Bah. What's that? He's the one wanted. He is. I mean, apparently he's the heartthrob of this show. Didn't know. Didn't know. So, guys, go check that out. And uh, go just go to com to get all of my podcasts. Union of the Unwanted, Cash Daddies. I'll just say it's no Trump. coincidence that the heartthrob of the show is the one who's not on camera. So, that's uh, it's just they, they know. We want, what, dude, they, we want people paying attention. They know what they're getting with you. Yeah. Sam. Okay, Johnny. <laughs> okay, Johnny. You'll be old someday, too. Guys, it's a great podcast. We break down. Uh, Sleep, uh, na- uh, uh, dreams, uh, precognitive. D- do your are your dreams uh, from the future? Yes. 
It's a great, 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 uh, one of the best conversations we had on the show. Uh, Dr. Eric Wargo knocks it out of the park. Enjoy the show. Drink from the fountain. Okay, so let's get into it, man. Super excited about this episode. It's good to mix it up and not get into the same kind of topics we've talked about. It's good to, uh, I really enjoy this topic. We're going to get into some dream analysis. I'm very excited. Uh, he has a, a website where his blog is. It's the nightshirt.com. Super excited to have this gentleman on. Please welcome Dr. Eric Wargo. How are you, sir? Great. Thank you for having me. Doctor, thank you for coming on, slumming on our show. We appreciate it. Uh, tell For our listeners who might not be familiar with you, can you please tell uh, us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm uh, a science writer uh, in the Washington D.C. area. I uh, I work for I've worked for a number of organizations and government institutes and stuff, uh, writing uh, about various sciences, psychology, neurosciences, stuff like that. But in my spare time for the past 15 years or so, I've had a blog on paranormal topics. Um, like, you know, it's, I started out interested in UFOs, <laughs> like, uh, uh, many years ago now. Uh, but then I, I veered into uh, the study of parapsychology, which is the study of ESP, and uh, got very interested in it. And I spent the last 10 years studying specifically the phenomenon known as precognition, uh, which is seeing the future, being influenced by the future, unconsciously um, uh, feeling the future, sometimes called presentiment. There are a lot of different words for it. Um, uh, but uh, I, it's a incredibly fascinating topic. And uh, it's then the, the topic of my new book is specifically on precognitive dreams, which are, uh, they're a phenomenon that is, has been widely, reported uh, all throughout history in all cultures all over the world. Um, and in fact, in pretty much every culture, uh, and I don't know of any exceptions to this except ours, uh, it's been just been assumed that these, that sometimes dreams bring us uh, scenes from our future, you know, um, but in, in the sort of scientific materialist worldview that, that, uh, that has sort of dominated for the last few centuries in our culture uh that idea has really been sort of verboten and uh and as a result uh, there's what i call a truth gap (laughs) between the real lived experience of dreamers who very commonly uh dream about things that are going to happen in their lives uh maybe the next day um next few days sometimes exactly a year later or exactly multiple years later um uh it's incredibly common and uh, and in fact, there's a lot of a lot of good scientific evidence for the existence of precognition. Um, but still, there's this sort of denial <laughs> by skeptics. Uh, and uh, so I'm trying to kind of change the conversation about it with my my new book, Precognitive Dreamwork and the Long Self. Dude, where have you been all my life? I'm all <laughs> about this action, dude. I am all about this, man. I love this topic. I am so excited about that. Uh, you know, ESP, being able to see the future, dreams, what happens in your dreams. I find all that so 
interesting. And, you know, so I want to get into that, but I really want to talk about, like, as a doctor, as a scientist, as somebody who has studied and maybe I'm, maybe you haven't, but the, the scientific method, and then you're dealing with things such as ESP and all that stuff. How do you? How does that come together? Because it's like we've talked to, we've had doctors on the show before, and we talk about something like momentum. How do you study momentum? How how is momentum uh, measurable? I mean, we all feel it, but how do you measure it? And how does that fit into the scientific method? So when you're talking about ES, ESP and looking into the future and, and, and all the other stuff that comes with, you know, people talk about astroplaning while you're, while you're sleeping. How do those two worlds come together? Well, your question is, is really a great one. Um, and it's, it's notoriously hard to study a lot of aspects of human behavior purely scientifically. And a lot of psychologists will dispute that. They'll argue that, that no, you can use science for everything. I, I disagree. I think that, that human, we're, as we're, we're motivated by meaning, okay? We're meaning-seeking creatures. And while you can measure a lot of things about us, you can measure our biological functioning and you can uh, even measure our aspects of our behavior. You can't measure meaning. Okay. You can't measure uh, what things mean to me as an individual person with a unique life experience. Um, and this is one of the things because dreams are so centered on meaning. Okay. They're, they're very personal. They're all about our personal uh, desires, fears, um, and, our own, and they all re- they relate to our own unique life experience. It's very hard to study them quantitatively in it, using the scientific method. I mean, you can study them that way, but you also have to study them in other ways. Um, and so, what I'm what I do in my work is sort of try to bring together, you know, what we know from the science uh, and what people in other fields have have also brought to the table. Um, for instance, the field of psychoanalysis. Like a lot of your listeners probably, you know, think that Sigmund Freud was some old white dude who was debunked, you know, you know, decades ago. Well, it's a lot, it's a, it's more complicated than that. I mean, Sigmund Freud, who wrote the classic book, The Interpretation of Dreams in 1900, uh, really was a pioneer in studying the meanings that we make and the meanings in dreams and how to interpret their meanings. And, and his big claim was that in fact, our conscious life is just the tip of an iceberg that the, the, everything below the water of that iceberg uh, is the unconscious and it, and it rules us and it, and it emerges in our dreams and emerges in jokes and in artworks and in, you know, slips of the tongue and neurotic symptoms and all that. Um, and actually, you know, that, then that viewpoint really went out of fashion for a long time as psychiatry got really interested in using medication and stuff to treat uh, uh, mental illness. But it's actually neuroscientists have really come back around in a way to Freud and realized that actually he was right. I mean, we're, we're, we have this vast unconscious and it does rule us and it governs our behavior in lots of ways. Um, so no, he's, he's, you know, I think Freud is due for a comeback actually. Uh, and I'm, I'm kind of, 
bringing him into this conversation about precognitive dreams. He, he did not himself believe in the reality of pre, dream precognition, um, uh, which is interesting because he had a major precognitive dream in his life. <laughs> but uh, anyway, his, his overall theory, I think, is, is, is very valuable. But, but you just need to think of the unconscious differently. I think of the unconscious as basically our life, our consciousness that is still ahead of us in time. That's that is our future self I love influencing this. us now. Yeah, dude. I'm all about that. And I couldn't agree more. So when I, when, you know, so what we're talking about here is some people might call it woo woo. I don't think it's woo woo, but I, I actually, I want to know, like I, you know, the, the, the scientism that we are in right now, the, you know, this almost this movement to look at science in a religious way. Right. And, you know, teach your own. I, I, I you know, I'll, I'm open minded to everything. Anything I hear in my life, I stand in karate stance and I'm like, OK, you know, I, I don't just fully just believe in I, 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 I question everything, right? That's, that's really the basis of the show. Some people think it's a conspiracy show. I, I think it's a spiritual skepticism show. You know, you, you have, you take spiritual skepticism to the official narrative and you, you question everything, and, which I think is a healthy thing to do. And if you, at the end, you come to, uh, your, your, your conclusion, sometimes it might be the official story. Sometimes it might not, but you know, but what I what I've always kind of wondered here is, and, and and talking to you, you're perfect for this question. Is do you think sometimes the rules of science were put in place to to keep us from maybe looking at all this amazing stuff that you're talking about and all this amazing stuff that you you've discovered, like you know the laws of physics, right? Let's just take the laws of physics. Where does future tripping or future looking falls into the laws of physics? And to me, the most amazing part of like the world that we live in, whatever that may be, is the stuff that maybe falls outside of this box that science wants us to look at this amazing world that is so much more um, beautiful, magical, complex than maybe we're taught to believe. And as you go through your journeys, you just keep getting these you keep peeling back these amazing layers that maybe in science you're never allowed to look at because it falls out of this standard model of how we have to look at our universe. Uh, and I'm not trying to condemn science, but I wonder if there is a part of science that wants to keep us from looking at that. Um, that's a complex question. The, 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 no, I don't think that, that, that there's like, a, uh, science doesn't want to keep things hidden. That's not, that's not the scientific mentality, but, but there are a lot of features of the way science is conducted and scientific institutions and universities. And there we go. You know, these are all human institutions right. and and there are all kinds of ways in which there are pressures to conform to a specific scientific paradigm uh and, and not you know question certain things that powerful people in the field uh that's to what be i'm true. trying to say yeah so there's always there's always that there's always that pressure but science is always evolving and expanding and in fact one of the uh you know one of the the reasons i feel you know, very confident in in making the arguments I do about dreams is that uh, in physics, actually, uh, a lot more and more 
physicists are starting to come around to the idea that, in fact, the future can retro-influence the past. That, in fact, this may be... There are some <laughs> physicists who will argue that that the famous randomness of quantum physics, you know, uh, the, the idea that you can't predict, you know, what a single particle is going to do in an experiment, whatever, that, that that random element in physics may, in fact, be the influence of that particle's future on its present, okay? And if that's the case, then, boom, that opens up whole new worlds for thinking about how our futures can can influence us now. Um, so in my books, I talk about, you know, sort of developments in quantum physics that that allow retrocausation and that, that imply that maybe retrocausation is kind of the, the, the answer awaiting us to explain a lot of spooky mysteries about the quantum world. On the other hand, you have the emerging field of quantum biology, which is showing all of these spooky quantum effects in biological systems. And, you know, and then there's quantum computing, which is this field that is, you know, they're trying to create quantum computers. Well, what they're also de- demonstrating is that you can reverse cause and effect in a quantum computer. You can revert, you can have an out, essentially have an output before an input. Okay. And if that's okay, that's pretty amazing. But then a lot of people are arguing, well, that the brain is a quantum computer and that there, and there's a lot of people looking for evidence that, that in fact, the brain is literally a quantum computer. Well, if that's the case, then if you pull this together, then it's actually not, woo-woo at all to say that that we can get previews of our future experiences um i argue i the <laughs> argument i make in my books is that the brain really is a kind of time machine that it's a, a a higher dimensional uh organ that processes information across the lifespan and that that we're essentially remember precognition is essentially remembering our future uh the same way we would remember our past all right, guys. All right, Swarm. Super excited to tell you about our new friends at Dr. Squat's Soap. Okay, real talk here to the guys here on the show. Soap or body wash? Which one are you using? Body wash. Soap. Ah, uh, Johnny, wrong answer, okay? Right answer, but wrong answer, because you already knew the answer, and that's called <laughs> cheating, and that's why you'll never be a real heartthrob, okay? It's ridiculous. Listen, it's all about the soap. The rest is stuff packed with harsh chemicals, synthetic de- ingredients, okay, detergents, and it's brutal on your skin. It's if you're ready to step up your soap game, okay, to that natural Great for your skin soap, okay? God damn, I fucked that up. Let me start from the beginning. These soaps are really nice. Okay. The names are amazing. Okay, hold on, dude. They sound like pot names. Okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, You like it, dude? It's great. It's a great one. Just (laughs) let it roll here, okay? Dude, I use the soap. It's freaking phenomenal, and it's got great texture. And if you go to their website, you on the website? I'm on the website. Dude, they got great names for soaps. What are some of the names? Grapefruit IPA. They Eucalyptus got yogurt. Yeah. Cold brew. I mean, come on, man. There's Spearmint, three names basil. that are great that I've noticed. Fresh Falls. Dr. Squash Soaps, Digital Currency, and Strippers. Those are the three best <laughs> names you could have. Dr. Squash Soaps are the best. You know, what you know what's great about them, guys? Okay? What's up? They're made in the USA. USA! Oh, wow. USA, okay? They're made in the USA using nice. the finest ingredients nature has to offer. That means they're natural cleansers and nourishing ingredients that are actually great for your skin. I use it 
I love it. Dr. Squatch soaps come in huge ranges of natural, manly scents that are going to transform your shower. Whether it's it's their best-selling pine tar, love that for baseball, dude, because you're getting a little bit more action, a little bit more heat, right? Yeah. Okay. Or scents like bay rum in that ce- cedar citrus. Come on, dude. You're never going to have a boring shower again. I use it, and I love it, dude. I use it, I love it, and I feel the texture. I get in it. I get in the cracks, bro. I get in the cracks where a lot of those body wash are afraid to go, okay? <laughs> Dr. Squash, in it too Win it, dude. And I love their product. And here's what we're going to do right now. New customers get 20% off on all orders of $20 or more when they go to DrSquash.com and enter the code DSC Tinfoil Hat. That is DSC T-I-N-F-O-I-L-H-A-T. That's DrSquatch.com. Code DSC Tinfoil Hat for 20% off orders of $20 or more. I use it. These guys are going to use it. I, if you love America, you love freedom, and you love smelling like a keg of whoop ass, okay, get Dr. Squatch soap. You have some stuff you've sent me to talk about, and I want to get into that. But, I, dude, I love this topic. It's like... This is this is like Christmas to me right now. Like having this conversation is is like I, this is what I've been waiting for, you know. And so you send me this stuff, but your thoughts on time itself, you know, wh- where do dreams come into? What time is is time? Is there future? Is there past? Or is there everything at one time? And like, and that time is almost like a book where pages are stacked on top of each other. I and thought you were going to say a flat circle for a second. Thanks for not doing that. Like, you know, the true detective thing, time, time is a flat circle. No, what am I, Matthew McConaughey? <laughs> yeah, no, am I driving a car? I really sounded like you were going by there a bowl. A That's not who I am, dude. You know, I don't like high school chicks, even though they stay the same age. Okay. That's not what I'm into. What I'm talking about is what does, what is your analysis about, about and we got to get into dreams, but your thoughts. On time, if if our dreams are future, is time in in front of us, or is time above us? Is time right now? Is is the future right now? Why the past is right now? Well, yeah, Albert Einstein, you know, over a century ago, basically said time is just a dimension, just like the dimensions of space, and the implications of that are that even though we experience time as sort of flowing in one direction forward. That's really a, a cognitive illusion, and actually lots of psychological research and neuroscience research is showing how we have that illusion of time marching forward and why we we don't experience our whole lives all at once. Um, but in fact, uh, and you know, cosmology, astronomy proves this, the future and past are all still, they're all sort of existing together. You know, and time is a dimension and you can go in both directions across that dimension, uh, theoretically. Uh, You know, in the future, we will have, I believe, time machines and wormholes that take us from the future into the past and so on. Uh, And uh, and like I said, in quantum computers, it seems like you can do that uh, with information. And uh, so, uh, yeah, so Einstein 
the, the, the space-time continuum means that we live in what is often called a block universe. That is to say, uh, there's the three dimensions of space, but the four dim- fourth dimension, time, is just another dimension like that. And, uh, and it's, all, it's all there. It's all there all at once. And so, you know, I believe by, by saying that the brain is a four-dimensional uh, object that, that processes information across the lifespan, I really I think that the evidence from precognitive dreaming shows that our future experiences, even experiences years ahead in our lives, are already in our brains right now, okay? Symbolically, I mean, we can't see it directly. It's, it's unclear and there's, it's fuzzy, but that it's already here. Uh, sort of the same way our past experiences are still are still here in memory and it's not always accurate you know it's it's uh, there's inaccuracies and and it's it's couched in symbolism and stuff like that but it's it's there that's that's an amazing uh that's an amazing implication and another amazing implication you know of the block universe model is that you know if the future is influencing me now even just in my dreams that means me now is influencing my past, you know. I, my, me now help shape my past. Some like Rick and Morty shit over here. No, dude, this is straight <laughs> up right? Back to the Future, bro. This yeah. is like you can't go back and hit on your mom. Are some people more skilled in recognizing those symbols and how how they uh, how and in interpreting them and what they mean for their future? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I, I've I've come to the conclusion, or I guess it's a it's a hypothesis because I can't prove it yet. But uh, my strong hypothesis is that we are all precognitive dreamers. That precognition is somehow basic to our mental functioning uh, in ways that we just don't science has yet to explore. Um, but. Uh, that we all are dreaming about events in our future, probably every night, and we generally don't recognize it. But some people who sort of get a reputation as precogs, and that was a word used by Philip K. Dick and his stories, uh, people who have a reputation as, you know, highly precognitive people, they're people who are, who are more attuned to that, who are paying attention to the similarities between their dreams and later events in their lives. And some of them, and some people, people, everyone dreams differently. And some people have a habit of dreaming a lot about disasters and disasters that are going to happen. And so that, you know, disasters kind of stand out. And, and so if those people tend to notice that they're precognitive uh, more readily than, than, than most of us, um, you know, I, t- I tend to dream about very mundane things uh, in my life. And so it's, it doesn't surprise me at all that until about 10 years ago, I was unaware that I was precognitively dreaming. Uh, you know, I, took, I had to sort of get interested in this topic and start to pay attention and realize, Oh my God, I'm doing it every night. Um, uh, but yeah, some people are better able to notice their, that they're doing it. And additionally, it really helps to already have a practice of dream work. That is to say, to, to record your dreams, to interpret them, whether, you know, in a Freudian psychoanalytic way or, uh, or according to the, the ideas of Carl Jung uh, or there are any other, any number of other 
approaches to dream work. But to, yeah, to have that habit of decoding their symbolism and stuff, uh, it really helps. Uh, so you this- keep hold on, you keep using the term precognitive crime. I mean, precognitive um, abilities for my uh, co-host Xavier. He does not know what that I means. Don't. Can we uh, break it down for those who might not understand exactly what you when you say precognitive? Yeah, pre- precognition is is being mentally influenced by experiences ahead in your life, okay, in your future, in a way that goes beyond simply prediction. You know, we can all predict things about the future through inference. And, you know, I can predict that I'm going to, you know, get up at roughly 7.30 tomorrow morning and blah, 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 and I I have plans. And so I'm able to predict things. But precognition is something more specific. It's it's, uh, actual events in the future or experiences in our future that are unpredictable, nevertheless influencing us in such a way that we get a, a preview of them somehow in our dreams or that, that we get a feel, you know, somehow they affect our feelings. Like, like something, you know, bad hap- is going to happen tomorrow and I'm feeling weird today. And, and if I can somehow make a correlation between uh, those two things um, and Precognition also manifests in all kinds of other ways. Uh, uh, some people are very prone to having visions or hearing voices or whatever. These are often often contain precognitive information. Like they'll they'll have a flash vision uh, of something something that happens, you know, the next day. Um, so there are all kinds of ways people can be influenced by their future. Um, dreaming is just sort of the most the easiest for people to start exploring this in their own lives. But uh, so it's just basically means being influenced mentally by your own future experiences. Is this, is this skill or talent somehow connected to remote viewing? You know how uh, the CIA did Scar, Mm -hmm. Scar, Stargate. Is it have something to do with, is that the same power? Same like genre, maybe, I don't know. Like, you know, this is a big, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this is a big debate, actually, uh, in the remote viewing community. Uh, some people, and I fall in this camp, are suspect that much or most remote viewing, so-called remote viewing, may actually be precognition because people may not be actually, you know, remote seeing some event around the world. They're actually seeing the feedback they're going to get you know, uh, when, you know, the, the picture is pulled out of the envelope or the person giving them the assignment tells them, yes, you were, you know, uh, the, the target was a facility in Russia and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, so there's this idea that remote viewing may be just precognition, but that's, it's highly, that's highly controversial. I mean, most remote viewers really believe that remote viewing is a separate skill, that it's uh, what used to be called clairvoyance. Um, uh, and remote viewing is just kind of a more sciencey sounding version of that old concept that we can see things at a distance. And uh, back when uh, the, uh, the Rhines, the uh, uh, J.B. Rhine and his wife, uh, Louisa Rhine, uh, at Duke University in the 1930s, when they sort of coined the term ESP, and th- there, that was the, sort of the beginning of parapsychology as we know it, uh, they really distinguished three separate uh, psychic abilities. Um, the main one was clairvoyance, that is to say, what we now call remote viewing. The second was telepathy. That is to say, some sort of contact between minds. All right. And the third was precognition. 
Um, and so throughout the history of parapsychology, there's been this idea that there are these three things. Um, uh, but like I say, there's, there's an argument to be made that, that those first two may really be precognition in disguise, that we're not, in fact, sensing things at all at a distance or even sensing other minds, that we're previewing some moment where we where we connect with that other person and uh, or preview a moment where uh, we find out what was happening at that site halfway around the world and 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 so uh, it's really precognition but that's an open debate and a lot of people will disagree with me on that but uh, it's still an interesting question so uh, one of the questions uh, I would like to get into is um how how do we recognize in our dreams when we wake up from sleep? What what are we looking for? How do we recognize precognitive in dreams when we wake up? Because you said uh, dream work. You talked about that earlier, writing down. What exactly is that? Okay. Precognitive dream work consists of three steps. And I'll tell you what they are right now. And you can start tonight um, or, or tomorrow morning. We start tonight by putting a notebook and pen by your bed. All right. That's 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 number one. The first first step in precognitive dream work and the first step in any dream work is writing down all your dreams. And that means even the ones that just seem like trivial or or where you just remember just some vague image or whatever. Write it down. Just write everything you can remember down from your dreams and date it. All right. Uh, That's step one. Um, The second step is to do what a lot of people already do if they're interested in psychoanalysis, for instance, they'll free associate on their dream images. Okay. So just take a moment, just ask, what does this remind me of? Like, what is this person in this in my dream? Well, you know, what, what does that remind me of? Or what does this situation in this dream kind of remind me of? And often it'll be something very apparent. It'll remind you of some situation in your life, you know, recently or, or something. It'll, it'll, it'll conjure a memory, an immediate memory. And that's important because it's often those, those associative links to your dreams that are actually the, the, the connection to the later experience in your life. So you write those down too. And this does really, I mean, it doesn't take more than a few minutes, unless you have like a bunch of dreams, then it can take a long time to write them in detail, but write your dreams down, free associate on them. And then the third step, and this is the key, and this is what no one does. And this is what no one thinks to do. And this is why we don't aren't aware that we're precognitive dreamers at the end of every day. Okay. Set, set aside your dream records during the day. And you don't have to think about them, but at the end of the day, go back to your dream record from that morning and from the previous couple of days ah. and just think and just think about the dreams and your associations to them and just think about them in relationship to your experiences and your preoccupations and stuff over the course of that window of time, those few days, you're most likely to notice a precognitive dream relating to an event over the next few days. That's not, a hard and fast rule. Uh, often it, it, you'll dream about something in a, a week or two. Uh, again, a very common feature of dreams is that you'll dream about something exactly a year later if it's a significant event in your life um, or, or even multiple years. I've got a lot of examples in my books of people dreaming about events like multiple years in their future. Um, uh, it's remarkably common. But you're going to mostly notice precognitive dreams happening over the next over that the course of that day sometimes even within a few minutes of waking up um uh 
but over the course of that day and the next couple of days. So again, write down all your dreams, free associate on them quickly, briefly write those associations down and go back to your dream records at the end of every day, at least the last, the previous three days. That's the basic, that's the basic methodology. Are there, you know, there, I, we've all seen books that break down symbolism uh, in dreams that certain, uh, like, let's say a koala bear means you're going to meet your, your long lost father or something like that, or, or whatever it might be. I was just making something up there. But, you know, uh, have you noticed any of that where there is, um, so, you know, certain images show up in your dreams. Those tend to be associated with certain uh, events that are going to happen or people you're going to meet or any of that stuff. It's unique to every individual person. So you cannot, there is no such thing as a, as a, a key, a, like a, a dream guide that's going to decode your symbols for you. The only one who can decode your symbols is you uh, because your dreams consist of personal associations um, they're very personal. And the more you record your dreams, if you keep a, a dream record over the course of weeks, months, years, uh, you, you start to really notice your own, your own symbolic language. And it's very unique. It's unique to you because it consists of your own personal, it all relates to your own unique personal experiences. I mean, no, no one, no two people have the same experiences in life. Now, that is to say, well, there's an exception to this. I mean, people who are interested in Jungian dream work yeah. we'll talk about archetypes in their dreams okay yes. and archetypes are are sort of symbols that supposedly have the same meaning for everybody uh i it, it's really more true that that people who are interested in carl jung and myths and so forth will dream those kinds of symbols as part of their dream language um uh for the same reason you know, Sigmund Freud was famous for sort of interpreting everything through the lens of the myth of Oedipus, and uh, he interpreted everything as Oedipus. Well, his patients started dreaming, you know, they would have Oedipal dreams, you know, and because that was part of the kind of, that became a symbol for them because they were interacting with, with this tradition. He was kind of, of influencing what they were doing. Yeah, yeah. So so you will dream, yeah, yes. I mean, some symbols in, in your dreams may be more general cultural Symbols. And I'm trying to think of uh, of an example. I mean, you know, some symbols in dreams are probably similar for you know most Americans, uh, you know, because we sort of share a common culture. But but by and large, dreams symbolism is very unique um, to the individual, and you just have to get you just have to start recording your dreams and noticing those symbols. It's an amazing, you know, dream work. Even forgetting the precognitive part, dream work is fascinating because it, it gives you such insight into into your your own mind. And one of the things it'll show you is the the symbols that are so important in your life, um, and because they, they reappear again and again and again in your dreams. Um, but so, but no, you, there's not. You can't. Uh, there's no like way to decode dreams objectively using some kind of guidebook or whatever. Um, what is the men, uh, and if I mess this word up, please forgive me. I flunked first grade, but what is the mnemonic theory? M N E M. What's it? Mnemonic. Excuse me. What's the mnemonic theory? Mnemonic. Yeah. Mnemonic just means Thank memory. Thank you, Johnny. It's, uh, the, the most, you know, neuroscientists have never sort of quite got their story straight about what 
what dreams do and what their function is. And this is, I believe, partly because, you know, they're, they're very narrowly applying scientific methods to something that's very hard to capture scientifically. I mean, there's this, this meaning dimension to them, but they have sort of gradually come around to the consensus, sort of a rough consensus in neuroscience that dreams are about the making of new memories, that what happens when we sleep is that they will say recent experiences in our lives, like the experiences from the previous day or two get sort of symbolically transformed. And that's part of the, the way they're linked uh, to events in our long-term memory so that they're essentially short-term memories get connected to our long-term memories in dreams and that dreams are the experience of this happening. They're the actual experience of the, of the synapses firing that, uh, that connect these you know recent experiences in your life to to experiences uh that are older in your memory okay that's sort of the consensus that 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 uh neuroscience has come around to uh and so that's the mnemonic theory the idea that the dreams are essentially uh about memory and forming new memories and so and i i think that this is correct i think but i think that, that in fact our memory goes both directions Right. It doesn't it's not just about recent experiences. It's also about future experiences. And it's about linking those recent experiences to future experiences. And that that's what we're really seeing uh, in a dream. And your experience uh, related to that, uh, are dreams a, a salad of, of past experiences and possibly future experiences? Are they all mixed up? Do they come in chunks in your experiences? Do some people have a higher proportion of future experiences in their dreams uh, relative to These, past experiences? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, in my experience, it's it's hard to say. I, I I the argument that that I make in my books is that really what what's happening in dreams is that future experiences are getting connected to our recent past experiences. There's these dreams kind of form a bridge between them, so that theoretically, if that's right, if my hypothesis is right, all dreams sort of contain a little bit of future and past stuff, and that. It's very easy, if you don't have a concept of precognition, to recognize that past stuff and to think dreams are just about our past and about our memories. And this was Freud's assumption. He, you know, he recognized that, you know, dreams, a lot of dreams contain recognizable things related to what happened the previous day or previous couple of days. And so he thought, uh, and, and a lot of symbolism and stuff that related to our earlier life and childhood and stuff like that. So he thought the dreams were all about our past. Uh, I think it's more complicated. I think that that past stuff is really helping, helping us represent stuff from our future, uh, that we don't really have context for yet. So it's putting, kind of future ideas and thoughts and feelings into a kind of context of based on our past. And it's using our past experiences as symbols to represent our future experiences. That's my hypothesis. Is there a, you know, you always hear people say always, well, in the circles I run that, that, which is a very interesting clique of people, but they often discuss uh, dimensions that is it possible our dreams are us in a, going to other dimensions? And, uh, you know, because you kind of mentioned like dimensions earlier, is it possible that w in our dreams that we visit other dimensions? A lot of people think so. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, a very popular idea. I personally don't think so. I, I think that, I think that, that, that if we really think about 
our future and how our future experiences get transformed and symbolically represented. And if we were, if we were able to like map out all of our future experiences and compare them to every individual dream, which is like impossible, but I, I suspect that, that we wouldn't need to think about other dimensions that what feels like going to another dimension is really going into our future, but our future, because it's always represented symbolically and kind of theatrically dreams, Dreams take mundane things and make them theatrical, and uh, and so we can have a you know a, a totally science fictional mind blowing dream that may feel like going into another dimension or whatever, but then like a couple days later have kind of a mundane experience that like oh wait every everything <laughs> everything in that wild dream actually is related to this kind of relatively mundane thing that right. I'm, I'm right. living through right now. So I just, I, I'm just asking people to like really pay attention uh, to just the time dimension, because like, we've never, you know, science has yet to re- to really deal with the time dimension. And certainly psychology hasn't in this sense. And so I think that, I think there's a lot of work ahead of us, uh, really exciting work to understand uh, understand uh, this the, the time dimension in our lives and how that relates to consciousness and 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 all that. Uh, so I think it's too soon to think to really explore the idea of other dimensions because I think I think the time dimension is a totally unexplored dimension and it has a lot of mysteries in store. Uh, if uh, our dreams predict the future, the future is full of talking cats. That's all I know because <laughs> I have so many talking cat dreams. I'm sure DARPA is working on that because we speak. <laughs> Boston Dynamics. That's the next thing from Boston Dynamics, isn't it? It's going to be uh, talking cats. Hey, do you have a question? Yeah. Hey, Eric, where do you stand on lucid dreaming? People that claim to be mm-hmm. able to go visit their mom, change time, is that different? Well, the Oh yeah, well the experience is very real. I mean, and dr- lucid dreaming is awesome. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's like having the most amazing movie, you know, at, at night uh uh in your head. So yeah, I highly recommend people, you know, there are a lot of uh, my the, one of the last chapters in my book talks about precognition in lucid dreams. Uh I don't you know, I don't have enough, didn't have enough space in the book to talk about methods for inducing lucid dreams, but there are a lot of books on that. And you can go on the internet. There are a lot of, a lot of great guides, uh, to lucid dreaming, but, uh, yeah, lucid dreaming is a, is a real thing. And it's quite, quite amazing, uh, when you practice it and it's, and it's, it's a little hard to, to learn to do, but it's not impossible. And once you learn to do it, you'll start doing it more and more. And it's, a you know, a fascinating a totally fascinating dream realm uh, to explore. But I think that, that lucid dreams are in my experience, especially precognitive. I mean, like really powerfully precognitive. Uh, and I've got a number of examples in my book. I love it. Uh, uh, um, control uh, guys on the show. Anybody, uh, have you ever controlled your dreams? Have you ever reversed it? Said, no, nah, I don't like the way that went. And went a different direction, like almost like directed your dreams. I've done that before. I'm like, okay, I don't like where this yeah. is going. This is my dream. Let's 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 run it backwards and go a different way. Hey, you didn't even wake up. No, I was in my dream. Going, nah, dude, this is a dream. I'm not doing that. Let's go this way. <laughs> a few. It's rare because it usually falls apart under the weight of you kind of. Yeah, what, like it. the actors walk off? They're yeah. like, we're tired of working yeah. with you. You're the worst director ever. We're walking off. Call my agent. 
And all the talking like, cats just leave. They're like, like the we're sh- done. The ship's flying apart. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just like. Yeah, I'm with you. That's, so, my, that's my experience as well. It's like <laughs> other people are like totally uncooperative in my, in my lucid dreams. It's like, yeah, it's like I've kind of given up. <laughs> yeah. uh, so talk to me about freeing your inner Kaiser Sose. I use Kaiser Sose all the time. I have a Kaiser Sose. You know, I think we all do. We're like, fuck it, burn the village, shoot the family. We're leaving, right? And it's like you can have that in you, and you have to learn to control that. But can I can I take that that energy that kind of just fills you up and use it for good? Right? Is it, can we can we be a, a positive Kaiser Sose, or do we just wreck shop in the future and just burn everything down? Like, what? How do we release our inner Kaiser Sose? Well, that that aspect of Kaiser Sose was really not what I was focusing <laughs> on in the, in the book. The, yeah, it's like it's like I don't you know I don't want people to go around being you know you know violent underworld <laughs> bosses like Kaiser Sose. That, but to explain you know to your viewers the. Uh, precognitive dreaming, the experience of precognitive dreaming always reminds me of the end of the usual suspects when, you know, here, you know, for two hours, we've, you know, you had this, you know, this kind of schlubby, you know, guy with a limp, you know, uh, verbal, you know, telling his story, you know, telling this amazing, you know, convoluted story to these police detectives. And, you know, and, and he, like at the end, you know, he shuffles out of the room and the police detectives just kind of sit around. Wow. That was amazing. And one of the detectives, like he's just sitting there with his cup of coffee and he's kind of looking at things in the office, like all the, the just objects in the office and things on, the, on his partner's bulletin yeah, board. The newspaper and, he clips. Reali- and he realizes every single one of these things in the office related to the story that he was just hearing and that, and that verbal was just improvising. He was just sitting in the, in the office telling this, spinning this story, this wild, crazy story about just improvising based on stuff, stimuli in the, in the office, like mundane little stimuli, like a little like logo or, uh, or whatever. Uh, and like, you know, they, they realized they'd been duped by this, this guy. And then on the street, you know, uh, verbal kind of loses his limp and gets into the limo and like turns out he was Kaiser Soze all along. Um, but that's kind of the experience of, of, of realizing that you've had a dream that was precognitive because the dream inevitably will be this big, dramatic, um, surreal uh, thing. And nine times out of 10, the experience that it was precognizing turns out to be something a lot more mundane. I mean, it, it's, it, it usually involves some kind of upheaval in your life, but like it can be an upheaval like, you know, your sink backing up. That's an example I use in the book. Something, something relatively minor, but it gets dramatized in a big way. Uh, and so it's kind of like this experience of like, oh my God, you know, my, my dreaming brain was being sort of like Kaiser Soze and like, you like telling this wild story about this, you know, relatively mundane event <laughs> in my future. Yeah, I can get that, dude. I can totally get that. You can get, uh, from from what I'm understanding of what you're saying, you can get kind of fatalistic with this, right? Uh, is is there is there some room for uh, change, uh, hopefully, like for people who have especially negative dreams? Because I can imagine this could be concerning if you're one oh, of those yeah. people who has a lot right. of nightmares. Yeah, this is an exa- anxiety that people 
that people have. Uh, uh, and a lot of my new book is, is sort of devoted to this question and trying to put people's minds at ease about these questions of fate, free will, and so on. Uh, because while I think that dreams do bring us information about event, actual events or actual experiences we will have in our future, they do it in this such an oblique and indirect way that we can very rarely use that information to, uh, you know, it's like we're going to have that experience one way or another. But the thing is, it's generally not bad. I mean, people often have nightmares and stuff uh, a lot, and they think, oh, my God, what is precognitive? All these terrible things are going to happen. Well, it turns out that that nightmare was was symbolic of something actually good. That happened. I mean, this is, happens to me all the time. I have, you know, dreams that seem terrifying or 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 horrible, and and wow, when the event comes to pass, and it's never clear enough that you can know how to avert it anyway. But when the event comes to pass, it's like, oh, that was actually really cool. Um, you know, information gets distorted when it passes into the past, and uh, and that's a it's just a basic. It's just a basic feature of 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 the dreaming brain. I mean, I think that this uh, uh, it, it actually relates to the laws. You know, this is I talked about this a bit in the book, uh, but there are kind of laws in a universe that includes time travelers. There are laws that sort of prevent a time traveler from preventing <laughs> himself from going back in time. You know, the famous grandfather paradox. Well, I think that those laws are what are governing symbolism in our dreams. That that we had that. Events in our future are sim- we 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 receive them symbolic in symbolic form, um, uh, and in such a way that we actually wind up having the experiences that we were dreaming about. So it sort of keeps the universe uh, self consistent. So interesting, man. So let's get into it. Like I don't know if we've gotten into it yet. Uh, dream space and dream time. Have you discussed that yet? Because what is that exactly? Well, uh, dream. Yeah, space is one of the reasons we're so bad at noticing precognition, and I think it probably relates to the reason why we're so bad at experiencing time as anything but marching forward. Um, is that somehow our, we're, we're limited in how we can understand too many dimensions. So we like to reduce everything to space, all right? We like to think spatially about things. We like to um, uh, think of, of events that, that have co- complex causal relationships. We like to collapse that time dimension and just think about things statically. Um, and this habit um, of of humans, I believe everywhere, is sort of to blame for why we don't understand precognition better. It's really, really hard to get wrap our heads around. Even just linear causality, okay, even just, just you know, standard one, you know, billiard ball hitting another, you know, that, that kind of one-way linear causality. Even that, I mean, people have a hard time with causal relationships, you know. It's, a, it's sort of an advanced reasoning skill, right? Um, well, you know, add retro causation in there, uh, backwards causation and precognition is like, whoa, I mean, it just, it just fries our brains. And so um, we, so that chapter in my book called Dream Space and Dream Time is about 
uh, the ways in which uh, we turn time into space, okay, and how that sort of keeps us from seeing our precognitive ability. But, but some of the interesting implications of that are, I think that that tendency helps explain why we're able to dream about events like exactly a year later. I mean, this is a very common phenomenon. And I, I had noticed it in my own work and then I started working with other precognitive dreamers and they were doing they were reporting the same thing that significant events, they would dream about them um, exactly a year ahead of time or exactly multiple years ahead of time. So there's some way to in the which day? the brain knows knows what day it is. All right. Really? Now yeah. And the the thing is I think there's an explanation for this. Uh, the um, the the hippocampus, uh, which is sort of our brain's kind of archivist or librarian it's very involved in memory it contains things that are called place cells okay and these cells contain our maps our spatial maps of our environment okay and they did classic experiments uh on um london cab drivers that showed that they had like very enlarged portion of their hippocampus because they had such a detailed map of london in their heads you know um well it turns out we map our life experiences that unfold in time onto these place cells. Okay. We're probably mapping them onto these place cells. So we're probably putting our lived experience, our biographies onto some mental like map, a spatial map. Okay. And that would help explain if we have like mental calendars, for instance, that are sort of spatial calendars of the year, that would help explain why somehow, even if, you know, I can't, I couldn't tell you what happened consciously what happened like a year ago or five years ago on this date. Nevertheless, in our unconscious, there is an aspect of our unconscious that knows that. And this is, you know, very familiar, uh, you know, experience of, you know, gosh, I feel really sad today. And then I look at the calendar. Oh, this is the day my, you know, dad died five years ago or whatever. And like, it happens every year, you know, it's like, well, I think this explains why uh, we also have dreams that are about significant events in our future on that same day of the year. Um, and so, so yeah, so the spatialization of time helps explain uh, some of the features of dream precognition. That is like, crazy to have the same dream or the uh, relatively the same like theme dream on the same day. That's mm-hmm. crazy because what do you always hear? Like time is a construct, right? Which I understand that. Like if you technically flew towards the sun, wouldn't it be the same day every day because it's there's no like movement of the sun and all well, that. Yeah, stuff. I mean it's different on planet. Or if you think there are planets, yeah, okay. uh, you know let's, it's different. On, we but were it, doing but, well, but, here, but, but it's, it would be different guess. on it, it. It's all according to uh, how we, the planet rotates. Yeah. Right, for sure. For sure, very interesting, dude. I totally buy that because you, you see, I mean, how how often have you seen where you wake up moments before your alarm is set oh, to go every, off? Right. All, all the time, and, and all you, the time, and you, you. I mean, it's so it, it it's it gets it's, scary, it's right? It's beyond yeah. understanding how how your mind attracts time, or uh, like where sometimes over the hey Johnny, what time is it? And you use yeah. like on the dot, and yeah. you're like, holy crap, that's yeah, pretty yeah. impressive. It's, and it's just, I think we just. Our minds on it on a the clock. These are, there's so many. It, it's it's funny what you're talking about. There's so many interrelated topics. I'm curious. Is is uh, do you adopt the traditional scientific uh, view of deja vu that it's you know synapses uh, misfiring, or do you do you think do you attribute some uh, precog uh, abilities to that? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm I'm on the, 
I'm on the fence. I, I think there is plenty of evidence that you can, your, you know, circuits can misfire in your brain and you can have an experience of familiarity around something that's, that's really not familiar. Um, and, you know, you know, you can, a brain surgeon can, you know, probe you in a certain way and you'll have a deja vu experience. So I think yeah, that, that's a, always possibly an explanation, but I, I think, yeah, probably a lot of deja vu is, is, you know, kind of not specifically remembering the dream, but knowing you kind of dreamed this, you know? So I, I suspect both. I think, I think both are probably going on. Uh, this topic gets brought up a lot and you're like a doctor with studies, dreams and stuff. What do you think about sleep paralysis? Oh yeah. Sleep paralysis Dude, is I'm a... fired today. Let's do it. <laughs> Go on. Sorry, sir. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, I, I do talk about this in the, in the book uh, and I've got certain ideas about it. I, I think, um, first of all, sleep paralysis, uh, is very scary. I'm, I'm a, I was a sufferer very frequently when I was younger. It it typically strikes people with their young adults, uh, most heavily, although I've had it intermittently throughout my life. Um, and, uh, once you learn what it is and once you learn not to be afraid of it, um, it's actually, typically a doorway to lucid dreaming or to out-of-body experiences. It's like, it's actually the precursor of those experiences. And once you kind of, once you learn not to be frightened of it, you can push through it. You can develop, you can develop the skill of using it as a doorway to having like a really amazing lucid dream or whatever. Um, So I think it's important for that reason. I, uh, I, I have a, and this is just kind of a, a hypothesis based on some of my own experiences. I don't, I haven't been able to correlate it with other people yet, but it's, it's a hypothesis anyway, that, uh, that sleep paralysis is really a kind of, uh, precognitive lucid dream where we're just precognizing being awake in bed, like five minutes later. Okay. Uh, and it's kind of like a, a closed circuit video feed to just our awake self in like a minute or two minutes or five minutes. Um, but, and because we're lucid, we think we should be able to move, you know, it's like, Oh, I'm awake. I should be able to move, but you can't. And that that's what is so terrifying about it. Uh, I often compare it to, uh, you know, the film being John Malkovich. Okay. Where he's like, you know, go, goes into the, the, the vessel body of John <laughs> Malkovich and, and, you know, he learns to control the body, but until, but his first time, uh, he's just like looking through the eyes of John Malkovich, you know, I think it's like, I think I suspect, and I can't prove this, but I suspect that that's what is going on with sleep paralysis. That we're looking through our own eyes, but you know, a short time in the future, uh, like literally a few seconds or a few minutes oh. and we're, uh, uh, unable to move and this terif- our amygdala goes crazy because we like, holy cow, I'm being, you know, I'm being pinned down. I'm being uh, imprisoned or whatever. Uh, so that's why it's so frightening, but uh, that's, that's my hunch. So, so, you know, we've done shows early on in this show about giant events, giant events that happen in our society, culturally, internationally like i'll say like 9-11 right Mm -hmm. uh there is uh there's been talk of the ripple effect through time that it's such 
a giant event in humanity that it actually does ripple through time. And that's why you see stuff like in, uh, in you know, uh, Back to the Future references to 9-11 and the other pop culture events where we see what seems to be a straight-up reference to 9-11, whether it's The Simpsons and stuff like that. So when you say that our our... our, our our thoughts influence our past. How does that happen? How do we, does it influence our memory of the past, or does it go back and influence the past? So those kinds of examples. Um, I mean, one of the things I, I, I mentioned earlier was that like it's not just dreams that 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 where we can detect the future influencing us in the present, but it's also art, any kind of creativity. Um, so whether it's writing or making films or music or, you know, anything, uh, uh, there, there's so much evidence of, of this. In fact, it's sort of the, going to be the topic of, of my next book, I hope. Um, but, but so all those examples that you mentioned, you know, I don't think it's the nine 11 rippling back in time. I think it's, you know, everyone who was alive on nine 11 and watching CNN was like powerfully impacted by, by that event. And that experience rippled back in the, you know, the, the, the four dimensional, you know, higher dimensional minds of, of artists everywhere. Uh, there's so many examples of this and, and, and that includes wow. script writers and that includes filmmakers. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it crops up again and again and again. There's so many examples of nine 11 prophecies. So, so called. Um, but I think that, I think it's, it's, it operates via precognition. You know, we learn about, uh, you know, just the same way we learn about past events. You know, we don't, you know, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't directly experience, um, Civil War, you know, water, the wa- Watergate, for yeah, instance, right. you know, but I, you know, I learned about it in my life from things I read, you know, whatever. I've, I've had a lot of experiences that, you know, watching all the president's man, whatever. So I know about Watergate and I can form an image of it in my head, uh, you know, even though I wasn't there, you know, same way in the future, you know, like, you know, most of us, thank God, weren't at, you know, ground zero uh, in New York on that day, but we all watched it happen on CNN and, and that was a big event in our lives. And, uh, and so we had dreams about it. You know, I would bet, you know, there's no way to prove this, but I would bet that every single American adult, uh, you know, on the morning before nine 11 had had dreams uh, related to that, you know, they, that they just didn't remember or didn't identify as, you know, or recognize, uh, you know, most people don't record their dreams at all, but, uh, yeah, I think that's how that works. What you're talking about, uh, it's not you, the event. The event somehow rippling through space time. It's that it's rippling through our own biography. Essentially, is that what you're saying? Like our own consciousness? Is it an energy thing? Is a sound wave? Like how does it ripple? Yeah. Is it? Yeah, that's okay. That's the that's the open question, and that's what we're, I think we're waiting for the insights of. Probably quantum biology is probably going to solve this problem. I'm hoping in the next, you know, couple decades that we'll have some better insights about how this might work. There's, I, 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 I do have a hunch that it's going to involve um, uh, these little uh, molecular structures inside cells and especially inside neurons that are called microtubules, uh, and these have been 
a lot of you know, researchers think that they are, these are possibly molecular, biological, quantum computers. Okay, uh, and they've been people who are looking for the secrets of consciousness, uh, namely um, Stuart Hameroff and um, Roger Penrose, the physicist. They think that microtubules are the answer to consciousness somehow. I'm not sure about the consciousness part, but I think that microtubules might be the key to precognition because microtubules, among other duties in neurons, is that they, is they're responsible for reshaping synapses, okay? And the pro, what learning is in the brain and memory is just the strengthening of new synapses when they're fired or the weakening of old ones that aren't being used, okay? And the sort of the, the brain's synaptic connections are constantly being reshaped. Uh, and this is what's, I think, going on at night when we're forming new memories in our dreams is that, that new experiences are, are getting connected to, to other experiences and uh, new connections are, are being strengthened. And that's microtubules that are doing that. So if microtubules are quantum computers that are able to respond to their future, okay, even if it's just you know, 10 minutes into their future or, or less. I mean, there's trillions, you know, hundreds of trillions of these at the brain. And they're, and, and, and if they're, if they're, if they're somehow able to, to funnel information from the cells, that cells future or that dendrites future uh, into the past, uh, then on the brain level, of hundreds of trillions of these things and hundreds of trillions of synaptic connections always constantly being reshaped. I think, I suspect that that's going to be the answer to how information, you know, a, a, a powerful experience like watching, you know, 9-11 happen on, you know, on CNN, uh, you know, could, you know, influence our, our prior experience our dreams the night before or dreams a year before or five years before. Um, I suspect that's my hunch. Hey, dude, and, uh, I like you it. Know, we need to wait. I like it. I think we're just, I think the human body, the human mind, the human consciousness, the human soul is so much more complex. And, you know, we, I hear a lot of the, oh, man, problem with America is you know, we're losing religion. I think we're losing religion, but we're gaining spirituality. I think we're getting away from organized religion. I think we're getting into personal spirituality, and I see it more and more all over the place. And as we enter into that world, okay, we start asking more questions along the lines of, uh, of what we're talking about here today. Is like what what is whatever create us wherever whatever we are wherever we are. I mean, how complex is this machine we call the human body and, and its effect on the human experience and, and what we are in the universe? And, and, and it's just like, and, and if it's so complex, can it deal with something today? And yesterday and in the future and all that stuff, which brings us to time traveling, right? Like what? How can we become time travelers into the best versions of our reality? How can we do that? Like, how can we become a time traveler? I, I'm down with that. I want to time travel. Yeah, me too. Totally. Um, well, there are different there are different ways uh, to achieve time travel. And I think it's going to happen incrementally. The first stage uh, towards time travel is going to be kind of an intermediate stage. I think it's going to involve quantum computers, or what we now call quantum computers. I, I suspect that uh, given what we're now seeing with quantum computing, that you can, like I said, you can reverse the causal order in a quantum computer. I think these devices are going to be much more than just number crunchers. They're going to be 
precognitive circuits, you know. So imagine, for instance, you have a little quantum computer that controls the airbag in your car, all right, and that and that it is it's set to and it can deploy a second before a collision. Okay, imagine how useful that kind of thing is going to be, you know, in safety devices and medical devices and everything else. It's going to transform our world, and I suspect that's what quantum computing, you know, is really going to turn out to be so with a quantum computer you know theoretically imagine you know you have a quantum computer and you leave it plugged in for a hundred years and you sit down at your quantum computer on the at the on the, at the keyboard and display on the first day that it's plugged in uh and you get a message and you know hey this is uh this is you know joe in the year you know you know 21 you know 21 and uh, how's it going? You know, it's like theoretically, theoretically with a quantum computer, you could you could send messages backward and forward in time. Oh okay? my can't say, god! Can't send, can't send objects. Okay, yet although here's another thing you could do with a, a quantum computer that lasts a hundred years. Since say you could attach, you know, as one of your peripherals, you could have a three D printer. Okay, and you could your 22nd century uh, colleague, you know, sitting at the computer in a hundred years could send you the information to print out, um, you know, like a drone or something, you know, in the 21st century. And then, so you could, so, so an op, so a user could theoretically send instructions uh, to create something in the past, you know, using something like a 3D printer or whatever. Yes. And there is there is actually a, a, a technique in quantum computing called quantum teleportation. I mean, you can theoretically teleport things um, across great distances, but also theoretically backward and forward in time. So so there's that, all right? There's that that idea that, that quantum computers may enable us to connect. Now, I, I sort of use a kind of science fictional story there i think it's going to be a lot more complicated than that i don't think messages from the future are ever going to be completely clear i think there's a lot of reasons why and they go back to those symbolism principles that i was talking about earlier i think i think that communication across time is going to be garbled it's going to be you know there's going to be a lot of obstacles to it but nevertheless the basic principle i think is going to apply um now beyond that though uh, there's wormholes, okay? I mean, theoretically, yeah. you know, a civilization yeah. that's way, you know, way more advanced than we are now could, you know, really reshape the fabric of space-time and create wormholes that are go both across space but also into the past, all right? And so that would allow then physical time travel. And who knows, maybe, you know, I think probably quantum computing and all the things it's going to allow will probably accelerate that that technological revolution you know probably you know uh, enable us to then build wormholes and things like that you know farther off in the future so so there's there's that um so there's all kinds of possibilities um you know some some people think that that ufos are are actually are our and our descendants in our future and that those are those are like little time ships um that you know that somehow their hulls can can manipulate the space-time continuum and that they can, you know, they don't need a wormhole that they just, they can uh, travel through time uh, the same way, you know, we would travel through space in an airplane. Um, so there's a lot of possibilities ahead of us. So I think that, yeah, I think we're going to be a time-faring species 
uh, eventually, if we survive, we have to survive this century first. That's a, a uh, seems like a, a big challenge. We but- can do it. So, Doctor, you got a couple books as we wrap this up. You got a couple books. Tell us, uh, tell us. A di- I want two things. Tell us your different books. But before you get into uh, your book on dreams, is there any one story that kind of stands out? about a particular dream that was very vivid or someone who had a dream and it was like, and then like a day later it played out like that. Is there any one story that stands out compared to the other, some of the past? Oh, there's, God, there's so many. I mean, there's one that is, it's like so mind blowing, but it it takes forever to tell. I don't have time (laughs) to tell it right now, but, um, uh, well, okay. The same dreamer, one of the, one of the, the precogs that I work with, um, and that whose dreams appear throughout the book, um, she, uh, noticed sort of by accident she's a she's been a dream worker for many years and she has very detailed dream journals um and she noticed uh last you know last year about a year ago she noticed that she had a cluster of dreams in 2017 in the spring of 2017 that all related to her experiences at the beginning of the lockdown okay of the pandemic Okay, so she had a whole cluster of dreams that were like all about the things that she was doing and things in her family and so on uh, during the the late the, the weeks of late March, early April, when we were all, you know, so much stress and uncertainty and, and so right. on. And she was right. having dreams about these experiences. And they were all like exactly three years later. And, and one Damn. of them, I'll just give you one of them. Um, she woke up from a dream and this was on, I believe it was April 12th of 2017. Okay. And, um, I might have the day, exact date wrong, but anyway, she woke up uh, from this dream and it was like the very certain sequence of images, which she wrote down and she had a snippet of a song uh, lyric in her head. And the, and, the, and the lyric was ain't done nothing since I woke up today. Okay, and so she wrote it down, and then that lyric was familiar to her, Um, and she looked it up online, and it's like, it was a line from the John Prine song, Angel from Montgomery. Oh, that's a great song. And, and, (laughs) yeah, oh my God, it's an awesome song. And And then she read the rest of the lyrics, and it's like, oh, every single, like, image in her dream was from the first verse of that song. Okay, so she had, so she had a dream about that song. But here's the thing. Three years later, on that day, the top news story was the death of John Prine. He was the first celebrity death from COVID. Okay. Oh, my God. On that day. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And, and in fact, in all the news stories, it had been noted that he had been honored at the Grammy Awards a couple of months previous and that. I think Bonnie Raitt had sung, has sung Angel from Montgomery, you know, in his honor at the Grammy Awards. So, you know, there again, there's this, this phenomenon where like sort of big news events or big events in your own life, you'll, you'll tend to dream about them exactly, you know, maybe multiple years beforehand. Uh, I've, you know, I've had this experience on many occasions that I've got a few examples in my books, both of my books. Um, she knows, notices this happening all her, all the time. I mean, the main, there's a whole chapter in her, in the book about, about a dream series of dreams she had in 
college uh, about uh, the death of a a uh, a person she'd known in second grade that she found out about three decades later. So, you know, it's dreams are bringing us information about our not only our near future but our distant future. I just want to get know, to one thing of, real quick before before we go. Um, the you mentioned earlier, and I I I don't know if you said this with intent uh you said that every adult in america likely had a dream about 9-11 before the day before uh, are you make, were you making a distinction there between adults and children the children uh did, oh the children yeah children don't always know what's going on in the news the point is, is well, no 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 i'm sorry well, yeah, okay well what i meant <laughs> yeah, was the question is this uh, do children experience these dreams and are any differently than adults do they have a higher ratio possibly of precognitive dreams because you know there's this thought that the veil between the mystical and the world we live in is a little thinner for children and i'm curious if that applies it's it's not about a veil it's just about like getting it socialized out of you in 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 the course of your development no not to share you know dreams that come true because most people are you know like don't want to hear that and, and I think we're trained, we're all trained to kind of uh, not notice that stuff. And that's why kids, you know, will experience this stuff and report it and all that. And, and most parents, you know, don't really want to hear it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I have never studied the question scientifically. I don't, I can't tell you a ratio, but I know my own daughter, you know, has precognitive dreams and I don't, I don't, I, I don't even encourage that. I, I'm trying to consciously try not to like you know bury her with my own preoccupations i'm with you i have daughters uh, dreams and stuff but i'm like yeah but she does i'm gonna put my shit on them i do that uh men women who are is one sex tend to be better at this than the other more open-minded to it you know uh to the thoughts of uh dream works and stuff like that yeah well it's You'll, I think in the literature, you'll see a lot more examples from women. And there's, uh, because historically in our culture, women, men tend to be very socialized against, you know, anything irrational or supernatural or whatever. So it's kind of been a cultural role that, that, that men just do not go there. Um, there's a, uh, a, a British writer named J.B. Priestley back in the 60s. He, he, he solicited people to send him uh, their precognitive dreams uh, for a TV show that he was going to do on the subject. And he got like 1500 letters from people all around Britain. Uh, and uh, almost all of these precognitive dreams were from most of them from women. And they almost always said, like, no one will take me seriously. My husband, you know, tells me not to pay attention to it because that's rational or whatever. So there's this kind of no nonsense stereotype, uh, you know, certainly in British culture in the 60s. And I don't think it's that much different uh, today, although I think it's I think it's a little different. It's not it's not as stark, the difference. But both men and women have precognitive dreams. Like I said, I think it's basic to our cognitive functioning. But probably historically, uh, women have maybe been paid more attention to it or been more allowed to pay attention to it um i i I, uh, that's my hunch uh i love it man i think uh i this has been a wonderful discussion you've got two books sir one is called uh precognitive dream work and the long self and the other one is time loops real quick quick uh understand what each book is about as we go out 
Sure. Uh, well, the new book, uh, Precognitive Dreamwork and the Long Self, is what we've been talking about the whole uh, hour. It's about how you can get in touch with your dream precognition. It's a, got a lot of examples of dream precognition, some mind-blowing examples. Um, what, my first book is called Time Loops, and it's, my, it's more general about the subject of precognition and the physics of retrocausation that would allow it to happen. Uh, there's There are a couple chapters in there also touching on dreams. Uh, there's also some sort of biographical chapters about people who, for whom precognition was very powerful in their lives. Uh, the, the writer Philip K. Dick, who, you know, a lot, a lot of your uh, viewers may be familiar with, you know, he was famously highly precognitive and he was constantly recording these dreams and, and his stories turned out to be precognitive things in his life. Um, so it's sort of a, it's a, it's a, uh, a more general book about the topic, but after I published it, I started getting inundated with emails from people sharing their dreams with me. And that's what to- told me, okay, there needs to be a book that's specifically on dreams. And that's, that's sort of a, a practical guide that people can just hit the ground running and start experiencing this in their own lives. Final question: If there, uh, if people want to do this but they can't remember their dreams, do you guys ever have that problem? You don't remember your dreams. Is there something you could do to, uh, you know, help you remember your dreams? Is it like Tabasco sauce or something like that that helps you remember? Because I gotta be honest, with you, I don't remember a lot of my dreams. Well, it's uh, yeah, a lot of people tend not to, but the thing is, even just putting a notebook and a pen by your bed side before you go to bed, that will often prime the pump. I mean, that, uh, it acts like setting an intention, uh, and you'll, you'll start remembering them. Uh, it's just, it's just, you know, if, if in your life you're, you're just like bouncing out of bed, you know, and starting the day running, like, like, you know, like my wife tends to do, uh, you know, you'll tend not to remember as many dreams, but if you make a habit of sort of laying in bed, hitting the snooze button, letting yourself that hypnopompic state, in the early morning when you're kind of in and out of sleep, especially if you're hitting the snooze button, that's a very rich for dreaming and also helps you kind of remember the dreams that you've had. So there's that kind of just being a little slower about starting the day, building in some time if you need to, to record your dreams. So you're not feeling rushed. A lot of people, you know, if you have kids, they're, you know, screaming and, you know, and you need, you're late for work. It's very hard to, to, to do, but if you can on weekends or whenever you can build a little space to kind of lay in bed in the morning and kind of think about your dreams, that's the number one thing. There are also a lot of supplements you can take to, uh, to help, you know, dream recall that helps sleep and so on and just get online, just, you know, Google it. You'll find, you know, uh, a lot of examples of this. Well, man, wonderful episode. I had a great time. This is something I love, man, interpreting dreams and understanding your dreams and all that stuff. So thank you so much. He's Dr. Eric Wargo. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, if you want to find any of his stuff, I will link all of his blogs his, where you can get his books. Again, his uh, his website blog is thenightshirt.com. So go check that out. And thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. This has been delightful. It's been a good time, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Next time you got a book out or you got something else you want to talk about, don't hesitate to hit us up. We'll do it again soon. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We love you very much, Swarm, and I hope to see you in Phoenix this weekend, if not the following weekend in Indianapolis. We will talk to you soon. Take care. We go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. Oh.
from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Tim foil hack. Tim foil hack.